As you can make it out here on our first Sunday in February, we will be in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, I would ask that you hold all applause to the end, but we will also get into Proverbs 17. For the first time in literally three months, we will be getting out of Proverbs 16. Let's pray. Lord, good to be here this morning. We are thankful for just the sunshine, thankful for your hand. Be it warm, be it cold, be it dry, be it snowy, you are a good God. And we say thank you for that, Lord. Just let your spirit teach us today, lead, guide, and direct in all ways and all things. And we say thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Proverbs 16, a couple verses here, then we're going to get into 17 as well, too. As you guys know, going through our study here through the book of Proverbs, we are going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but sometimes in the actual chapter, the verses better go from a topic standpoint, jumping around a little bit. So we are at verse 31. We haven't covered 31 yet of Proverbs 16. It says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. I like that. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Silver-haired head. Some of your translations say the gray-headed. It's a crown of glory. Do you ever think about that? The gray hair, it is a crown of glory. Some of you try to hide your crown of glory. I was talking to a lady years ago that was coming out here, and she dyed her hair many times, colored her hair many times, and I asked her one time, I said, what is your natural hair color? And she says, I honestly don't remember. So this gray head, this silver hair, is a crown of glory. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. It shows hopefully wisdom. It shows hopefully years of walking with the Lord. It shows experience of trusting and walking in faith and what the Lord has done and what the Lord will do. Please do note, though, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. Verse 31, it is found in the way of righteousness. I know silver-haired, gray-headed people that there is no way of righteousness in them. And what a shame to live so many years on this earth and to not grow in righteousness in any way whatsoever. What you want is you want 31, the silver-haired head of maturity, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You put that together, and what a beautiful picture that is. You know where your faith is, you know what you believe, and you also have the wisdom and experience of walking with the Lord to back that up. That's what makes it so amazing. To become the silver-haired head, the gray-headed person, and to not have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that is a shame. Please remember what the word righteousness means. It just means to be made right. How are we made right? We're made right through Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says that he that knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So I am not right. I cannot be right. I will not be right. But through Jesus Christ, I am made right in the eyes of God. So you add in the gray hair with the righteousness, and God says that is a blessing. It is a crown of glory, and please remember that. Now here's the problem, though. We see that in the world, and they have not learned righteousness. Sometimes you see it in the church. You see the gray-headed. You see the silver-haired in the church. And what has happened is this. They've been in the church for decades, but you see no depth in their walk. Yes, they have many years of being with the Lord. They may have been going to church for decades. They may have been reading the Bible for longer than we've been alive. I remember the first Wednesday I taught out here back in 1997. I remember I was 20 years old. And I remember looking out across the group as I'm teaching them. And I'm thinking, you have been saved longer than I have been alive. And I'm up here teaching you. And I pray the Holy Spirit leads and guides. But what a shame it is to see people that have been in the church for years. And they got the silver-haired head. 
But there is such a shallowness in their walk with Christ because they're still on the bottle. They're a baby bottle. So we want to grow in maturity, but we also want to, in verse 31, find this in the way of righteousness. You want to find those things. You want to grow deeper in those things. Because look at the little life lessons you learn as you go through this. Jump back to verse 8, please, of Proverbs 16. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. So you learn at the end, as long as I have righteousness, I am right with God. That's really all that matters. What's it mean to have everything the world can offer and still die and go to hell? What good is that? I want a little with righteousness. I want to be right with the Lord. And take a look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Better is a dry morsel with quietness, with peace, than a house full of feasting with strife. You learn at the end, it's not about how much money you make, not about how many toys you have. It's not about what you have. It's about having righteousness in Christ and the peace of God. That's what matters. I've been involved in many end-of-the-life moments, and as you're around that bed and that person is passing away, no one is saying, boy, I wish I worked more overtime. No one is saying, boy, I wish I had more money. No one cares at that moment. The only thing that matters at that moment is having the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the peace of God. That's all that matters. So we hear this, we know this, we see this, we read this, but now we have to learn how to go live this. So if we really believe what verse 31 is saying, that righteousness and the silver-haired head is a wonderful blessing, then we need to live that. If we really do believe better a little with righteousness, then we need to live that. If we really believe that it's better to have the peace of God and quietness than a full house of whatever, we need to remember that. Whatever season you're in, you need to remember this. Because there's different seasons of life. Different seasons. And the focus today is going to be more on the season of being older, because that's what verse 31 is talking about. But it's also important to note that there's the season two. It's fasting to look at sometimes how young the people were that God used. We kind of throw these names around and we forget how young they were. Like Daniel. Daniel was probably a teenager. And here he is basically kidnapped, abducted, taken from Israel, taken over to Babylon, now forced to learn a new language, forced to be part of this religious system that he didn't want to be a part of. His name is changed, lost his family, everything. Probably a teenager. And here he is taking a stand and literally changing the most powerful nation in the world as a teenager. You think of Jeremiah. We don't know exactly how old Jeremiah was, but he could have been possibly a teenager, maybe early 20s. And he has this 40-year ministry. We kind of forget this a little bit. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and love and life and faith and purity. So the Lord can use you at any age. Now, it's a little easier to stop and think, oh yeah, that's right, you got the vigor of youth, you got this, and these young men and women are going to go out and be used by the Lord. But what about this other season here? Let's talk about seasons for a little bit. Can you go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? There are different seasons of ministry, there's different seasons in our ages. And I firmly believe the season that you are in is the best season that God has for you. Take a look here at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Start in verse 1 with me, please. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Whatever season you're in, God has a purpose for it. Romans 8.28, in all things God has worked for the good of those that love him that are called according to his purposes. So the season of life you're in right now, be it the age you're in, the physical health you're in, whatever you're going through, God says, I want to use this season for a purpose. Now I'm going to tell you this. Some of the most joyless people I've ever met are the people that are constantly focusing on changing the season of life they're in. 
They don't have contentment in the season of life they're in. And they're always focused on seeing that change. And therefore they don't have joy. Because instead of stopping and saying, Lord, the season that I am in, this is where you want me at this time and at this purpose, and I will be used by you and glorify you in this. Instead, they're always focusing on a season in the past, or I can't wait to this season in the future, and therefore they have no joy right now. You know those people that talk about the greatest season of their life was high school or college or something. I don't know about you guys, I don't want to re-go through college or high school in any way whatsoever. It does not interest me. And how sad to be in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, and you're looking back 20, 30 years ago and saying, oh, that was the best time ever. What about right here, right now? Or what about if you're constantly looking forward? Oh, I can't wait to get out of this season so I can have joy in this. Well, wait a second there. The season you're in right now is where God wants you and he wants to work good. I can remember a few years ago, I was trying to watch a, a football game on a Sunday afternoon. And as I was trying to watch this game, I couldn't watch it because there was constantly a child walking in front of my television. Just again and again and again. And I got to the point, and I'm not exaggerating, where I literally thought about taking duct tape and putting it in front of the TV and making it a no-walk zone. Because why are you constantly walking in front of my television? I was frustrated about this. And I remember Dawn coming up to me, saying something to the fact of something about that frustrating you. And I said, yeah. She goes, I, she goes it will be done in a, in a while. I said, I know. I can't wait. She goes, yeah, in about 15 years, it will be done. <laughs> and then she said, you don't want it to be done. And that really hit me. How much do we focus on this season? Oh, I can't wait till the kids are older. I can't wait till this is done. I can't wait till I can change this. I can move here. I can do this. You're going to get yourself so focused on a season that you're not in, you're going to lose the joy in where you're at right now. Trust the Lord in the season that he has you. But we always want to change, don't we? When we're young, we want to be old. When we're old, we want to be young. When you're single, you want to be married. And when you're married, you want to be single sometimes. Be careful with those things. Philippians 4.11, Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever thing I'm in. Now, some seasons are harder. Season of losing a loved one, that's hard. The season of being a widow, that's hard. There's difficult seasons, but God is still good in those seasons. And there are seasons that you know are coming and they're just hard to adjust to. I talk to a lot of parents that as their kids get older, they talk about the difficulties of those children growing up and leaving and just the empty nest and the empty house they feel. I remember one time hearing a teaching which I thought was so good. And they said, go drop your youngest off at college. You have the empty nest and as you drop them off at college, immediately go to the airport for a missions trip. Get your focus on the Lord. That season of raising those children, okay, that's closed for a while. Now, realize the season you're in. But if you sit there and constantly look back or look forward, you're going to lose joy. So let's talk about these different seasons. Verse 1 again. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. What a great place to start. I heard it's been said before, it is messy when we're born and it's messy when we die. And in the middle we try to forget this. The reality is you are going to die. The reality is that every moment you're one step closer to dying. That's not to depress you. That's to remind you. There's something to push you on and to light a fire under you saying, Okay, Lord, my time is limited. What am I going to do at this time now? Because eventually I'm going to be standing before you. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Now, if you are in the season of laughing, dancing, and embracing, amen. Enjoy that season. Some of you are in the season of weeping and mourning, and there is a refraining from embracing. You know what? God's still good. And the season you're in is just that. It's a season. So, Lord, help me in this season. Help me not to find my joy in trying to get out of this season, but help me to find my joy in whatever I am in right now, trusting you that you're moving and working in ways that I don't see. Now, using this context, talking about the idea of being gray-headed, silver-haired, what's it mean as we grow older a little bit? Go with me now, please, to Joshua 14. Joshua 14 is probably one of the best examples in the Bible of growing old, and what are we going to do with it? Here's the thing about growing older. It's going to happen. No matter what age you are, no matter how old you are right now listening to me, you're going to grow old. What are you going to do with that? It seems like this mentality we have in America is this. We want to work as hard as we can, make as much money as we can, retire as early as we can, and then do nothing for as long as I can, and hope that I die in my sleep. That really seems to be the focus. And that's what you see. You see this idea, I should probably add one more to the end of it, die in my sleep in a warmer location than what I am right now. Think about this, folks. That's life. That I want to go, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get this education, and then I'm just going to work so hard, make so much money, retire as quick as I can, then do nothing, and then die once again, hopefully, in my sleep. I think we're missing the point here a little bit. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have never understood getting closer to the end of the race and then slowing down. I remember when I used to run cross country and I would get towards the end of that 3.1 miles and I could see the finish line. I wanted to get done as quick as I can. And there's this idea of you have a kick at the end because there's the end. The adrenaline's taken and I'm going to go finish. I can't imagine getting within a quarter mile, half mile of the race and just slowing down and saying, this is so pretty. But this is what we do. We get closer to the end of our life, natural death, and we stop and say, oh Lord, there's so much I never experienced in this cursed fallen world that I want to experience. Lord, I know the beauties of heaven are just around the corner, but if I could have some more time to enjoy this sinful, awful place, could I please go enjoy this sinful, awful place some more, Lord? That makes no sense to me. Finish the race strong. Let's look at some examples of some guys that did this. Joshua 14, a little bit of background here. They have now inherited the promised land. And this is a conversation between Caleb and Joshua, two seasoned saints. If you remember the story correctly, when they were getting ready to go in the promised land, Moses sent out 12 spies. Two of those spies were Joshua and Caleb. As the spies came back from the promised land, 10 of the spies says, guys, we can't do this. They're too big, too strong, too powerful, too everything. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that came back and said, no, in the power of God, we can do this. God was so frustrated at the nation of Israel, he said, you have no faith, you don't trust me, I'm going to make you wander now for 40 years because of your disbelief, and so therefore, because of your lack of faith, that generation of doubters will die off for 40 years. That's what happened. But Joshua and Caleb, since they were faithful, did not. 
So they are the last of their generation here. Verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the Kenzanite said to him. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Remember that phrase. Wholly followed the Lord my God. Nine. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. I don't know when this happened. It seems like we're really content now with what I call 51% Christianity. God gets most of my life. He gets the majority of my life. He gets the biggest piece of pie of my life. God wants everything. Wholly followed the Lord my God. There's a reason why Jesus summed it up by saying you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can you imagine if Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with most? No. All. Caleb, I have wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he has said these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now I hear him this day, 85 years old. 85. We've talked about the teenagers of Jeremiah and Daniel that changed the world. 85. What's going on at 85? Nowadays at 85, you're supposed to be retired. At 85, you're supposed to be doing whatever you want. At 85, you let the younger ones take care of stuff. At 85, you just keep your mouth shut and let everybody else do everything. I think if Caleb was here today, he'd probably try to pick a fight with you. Take a look at 85, verse 11. And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then now, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Eighty-five years old, he says, give me the mountain, give me the giants, give me the fortified cities and let me fight them. I love it. He's not just going to sit there and do nothing and die a peaceful sleep. No, I'm going to do this. This is what God gave me and this is what I'm going to fight for. So I want the mountain, I want the giants, and I want the fortified cities. And I'm 85 years old and I'm going to go fight. Take a look at 13. And Joshua blessed him. Go do it. I love that. Be careful. That as you progress in this world and in life, and maybe you start to get the silver hair and the gray hair, it's really easy that all of a sudden when you start out, and I remember when Dawn and I first got married, that we went to fast food restaurants, Taco Bell, McDonald's. We didn't have enough money to buy a taco. I remember that. And now as you get a little older and you look around, and you think, wow, we started, I always think of the Monopoly game. We started out on Baltic, you know what I mean? I think we're maybe in light blues right now. We're moving up a little bit. Everybody wants to get to the dark blues and have a lot of money. And I look in the Bible and I stop and I say, no, Lord, give me another mountain. There's some giants there. I know. Let's take them on. There's some fortified cities there. I know. Let me take them on. That's what we're looking for. This idea of fighting till the end. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think of what Paul said in Romans 12. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. As we get longer in our life, how often do we lose the fervent in spirit? Think about some of these guys. The Lord really started using Moses at 80, Abraham at 100. We can go down the list here of what the Lord did. 
Let's go produce some fruit for the Lord here. Go with me now to Psalm 92, please. Psalm 92. Whatever season you're in, it's a season the Lord wants to use. Don't lose your joy by focusing on the season that you're not in. Don't. This is the season I'm in, Lord, and this is how I'm going to serve you in this season. Psalm 92, let's start in verse 12. Verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Look at that symbolism there. you got palm trees, cedar trees planted in the house of the Lord. If you just jump back a little bit to verses 5 through 7, you see in verse 7, the wicked are like grass. I mean, just look at the comparison. Palm tree, grass. Cedar tree, grass. There's no difference. Now take a look here at 14. They shall stare, still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Oh man, I want you guys to bear fruit in your old age. I want you to be fresh. I want you to be flourishing. I want you to be the Caleb's that say there's a mountain, there's a giant, and there's a fortified city. I'm going to go get it at 85. Because the Lord is still moving and working. In verse 15... I want to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There's no unrighteousness in him. I'm going to go do that. That's what I'm going to do with my final moments of days on this earth. Now what happens though, if you're not Caleb at 85, or you have the strength and the vigor? What happens if you're not even close to 85 and it's a struggle to get up? The idea of walking up a mountain, yeah, that's literally going to kill me. What do we do then? Go with me now, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. We have a tendency in this life to focus on what we can't do. Not on what we can do and what we can't do. So if at one time you were young and full of energy and life, and that's not there anymore, it's easy to sit there and focus on what you can't do. Maybe the scriptures aren't there as much as it used to. Maybe you can't do this, you can't do that. And so what happens is you focus on what you can't do and you lose your joy. As we mentioned earlier, I see so many people walking in a joyless state because they're focusing on a different season of life. I see other people walking in a joyless state because the only thing they want to do is focus on what they can't do. The body's falling apart. I'm not 85 like Caleb and full of vigor. Well, take a look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, start in verse 16 with me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 16. You do not lose heart, even though your outward man is perishing. You're a tent, and the tent is falling apart. But look at 16. The inward man is being renewed day by day. His mercies are new every morning. Listen, we're all tents. And some of our tents are more dilapidated than other people's tents. That's just the facts. What are you going to do about that? I have noticed over my years that there are people that would rather have the sympathy of man than the comfort of Christ. They would rather have everybody's pity party. Woe is me. And they actually like that. They like the way that people give them attention and they like talking about everything that's wrong in their life and everybody, oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh, that's whatever. I keep forgetting. I, I should say, I think they keep forgetting Romans 8. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. 
Yes, your tent is falling apart. Your outward man is perishing. But inwardly, I hope you're growing deeper with Jesus Christ. I hope that you're realizing as these things are falling apart, that there's a God that loves you and says, I'm helping you through this for your glory of the Lord. And so therefore, all of a sudden, when you used to teach this study and you used to do this and you used to go help that widow move, now your day literally is doctor's appointments, doctor's appointments, and doctor's appointments. That's a lot of nurses and doctors you get to represent Jesus Christ to. They probably see a lot of people come into those offices full of despair and discouragement and you're walking in in joy and you're going to say, I'm going to represent the joy of the Lord. That's your, now your missions field. Now, that's easier said than done. I like how it says this in the New Living Translation. Verse 16. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, next time you're in the hospital and I come visit you, and I sit down beside you and say, guys, I just want to remind you that your present troubles are small and won't last very long, and I leave. Don't get mad at me, okay? (laughs) And the whole scheme of heaven and hell... Whatever we face on this earth is small and does not last very long. It doesn't. Now, when you're in the midst of it, it's physical pain. It's emotional turmoil. It's spiritual despair. Jesus was in pain. The Bible says he was in agony. He cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the book of Ecclesiastes, we just read there in chapter 3, there are moments, there are seasons of tears and pain. It hurts. But in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, it is small and light. That's hard to remember at that time. But it is. He says, but yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and lasts forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things which cannot be seen. The closer you get to the end, don't focus on what you can see. Focus in faith on what you're going to experience. Now, this is hard to put into practice. Years ago, I was asked to get involved with the man's life that he was dying. He had cancer and it was progressing very, very quickly. I think the first visit I did was maybe at his home and he very quickly went into hospice. And most of the visits from that point forward were in the hospice center. He wasn't going to get better unless the Lord came down and miraculously healed. Death was going to be imminent. He got saved at the end, though. Which is amazing. And I don't want to overlook that because that is the amazing thing that he got right with the Lord and he got saved. But I remember going and visiting him at the hospice center and he literally is laying in his deathbed. And there was just this full of regret, full of shame, full of just everything. I can't believe I wasted my life. Why did it take this long to get saved and everything? He was probably at this time, I'm thinking mid to late 70s. And we're just sitting there going through your new creation in Christ and what the Lord has done. He had a real hard time getting past the past. But then we just had this. He goes, what am I supposed to do now? I've wasted my life. So we're just going through things, and I just kind of threw this out there. I said, why don't you pray for the generations following you? And I'm not exaggerating. His eyes lit up. His whole demeanor changed. If I remember correctly, he died two to three days later. And he spent the last two to three days of his natural life on this earth praying for the generations following him. That was his missions field. That was his ministry. Now, you may sit there and you may say, okay, what about this or that? Listen, he could have focused on everything he couldn't have done. Instead, he stopped and said, I'm in a bed. I'm dying. I can't get out of this bed. I got generations following me. I'm going to pray for them. And if you don't think that that's ministry, then you don't understand the ministry of prayer. If you don't think that's important, then you don't get it. If you're going to base everything in life of what you physically can or can't do, you're not going to walk in joy. It's about the Lord. 
And it's about saying, God, this is the season I'm in. And so since I'm in this season, this is what I'm going to do. And you know what? Right now, I'm not in a season where I can move sleeper sofas anymore. I can't. But I can pray. Okay, I'm not in a season where I can go out and shovel snow for people when we get six inches of snow. But you know what I can do? I can pray. I can answer Bible questions. I can write notes of encouragement. And if you don't think that's a ministry, then you don't understand the gift of encouragement. There's a ministry and a season in whatever you're in. And if you got the gray hair, if you're the silver-headed, you got some wisdom that we'd love to learn from. And so go out there and let the Lord lead in that wisdom. Let the Lord lead in that guidance. Let the Lord use you in many, many different ways. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way. If you are in that generation, if you are in that season, go out there and share that wisdom and guidance. And please do it in joy. Because a lot of times I see people that are getting close to the end. And they're out there serving the Lord. And they're not serving the Lord in joy. They're serving the Lord in a spirit of grumbling, complaining. This is not the way we used to do it, etc. Just take a good self-check with that a little bit. And just stop and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this in joy. I'm going to do this in the spirit. And I'm going to trust that you're moving and working in ways. A couple quick verses here before we move on to our next point. You don't need to turn there. Isaiah 46.4. Isaiah 46.4. Even to your old age, I am he. Even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Aren't you loving that? Even to your gray hairs, God carries you. Psalm 48, 14. Psalm 48, 14. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. God is your guide to death. To the last moment of your life, the Lord is guiding you and directing you. Oh, I love that. Two final verses here and then we're done. Can you go with me to Psalm 71? Psalm 71, then we're going to take this point and we're going to go to an Old Testament story to put this into practice. Psalm 71. Okay, I believe these verses in Psalm 71 are good for whatever age you are. If you were here this morning and you're young, I want you to get these verses, know these verses, live these verses, let these verses be life verses for you until the time the Lord takes you home. If you're here in your middle age, do not forget these verses. If you're here towards the end of your life, do not forget these verses. Take a look at Psalm 71, verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me. Until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. If you have kids, you get to declare God's righteousness and goodness and strength to that generation. If you have grandkids, to that one. If you have great-grandkids, to that one. You just keep declaring God's strength and gen- to the generations and the power to everyone who is to come. If you don't have kids and grandkids and you're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. You got friends, you got neighbors, you got a circle that you're around. Declare God's glory to them. Declare God's power to them. Declare God's strength to them. Now that you're old and gray-headed, God will not forsake you. And you're going to declare this. Until your last breath on earth, you are a witness for the Lord in all you say and all you do. No matter what season you're going through. It's for God and His glory. I remember you guys, um, maybe I remembered Howard and Doris Spangler. Um, used to worship out with us. Howard passed away a few years ago, and Doris now uh, moved away. We were, I was over when uh, Howard passed away. And Howard, you know, just loved the Lord and was this great man of faith. 
And it was uh, me and Doris and Doris's daughter, and we were around Howard. And we were literally reading out of Matthew, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord as Howard passed. So here he is taking his last breath on earth, and those are the verses we're reading over him as he's passing. So Howard passes away, and you guys know everything that happens, and you contact the funeral home, and the funeral home guy comes out and goes up to Doris. And, you know, first thing he says to to Doris is just, you know, Doris, I'm so sorry, you know, whatever. You have to know Doris a little bit. She stops, points her finger at him, and she says, don't you tell me you're sorry. He is in a better place, and frankly, I wish I was with him. And that just hit me, that there is no fear of death. There's no fear of the end. There's a faith in the Lord and understanding what is to come. And when you understand what is to come, and you understand that death is you just you going home, I hope you don't have a fear of your mom and dad picking you up. It's time to go home. It's time to go. Until the end... Just as a kid, Lord, I want to play to the end. Sure, play. Play about my business, though. Work hard for the Lord. And declare to the generations following the strength, the glory, and the power of God. Because if you're here this morning and you got the gray hair, that means you've lived it. And I pray that you've done it in the way of righteousness so you can pass that along to other people. Let me just repeat some of these points again. Don't focus on the season you're not in. Focus on the season you're in. You'll lose your joy if you do that. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do for the Lord. You're going to lose your joy if you do that. Pass it along to the generations following. We've talked about Caleb at 85 who's going to go take giants, mountains, and fortified cities. I want to finish with a story about another man as well. Can you go with me now to 2 Chronicles? 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, we're going to start in 22. We're going to kind of go through a couple chapters here real quick though. If you're not a fan of the Old Testament, especially the history books, I just encourage you, as you read these history books, really pray to say, Lord, open my eyes, because there's so many life lessons in these books. It's easy to get confused with the names and the kings and the kingdoms. So we're going to start on 2 Chronicles 22, and there's a man by the name of Ahaziah. Now, Ahaziah was king, and what happened with Ahaziah is, he gets killed in battle. And as he is killed in his battle... Interesting enough, his mother, Athelia, takes over. This is all in 2 Chronicles 22. So there was a queen for a while over Judah. Now, when I say she takes over, please understand this. She takes over by killing all the other heirs. Now, use your thinking caps here for a second. Grandma is killing the other heirs. She's killing her grandchildren. Okay? She wanted power. She wanted to be queen. So Ahazia dies. So she sees an opportunity. She orders the death of all of her grandchildren so she can become queen. Well, so she does that and she gets every one of them killed except one by the name of Joash. Joash is saved by this priest by the name of Jehodiah. And so they go and put him in hiding. And they put him in hiding for about seven years. So Athelia is queen now for seven years because she killed all of her grandchildren. Now, Jehodiah, this is where it gets interesting. It says in 2 Chronicles 23, verse 1, In the seventh year, Jehodiah strengthened himself. Strengthened himself. He's had this kid in hiding for seven years. And, I, and I, when I say this, I don't mean this the way it sounds. Strengthened himself. It's like, okay, God gave him that backbone to say, now go do this. So he brings Joash out of hiding. And he says to Judah, this is your king. 
Now that's rebellion. Now it's rebellion in the, in the right way of God. But to Athelia, she's going to look at this as rebellion. He's putting his life on the line. But he strengthened himself and he did it. So they bring him out, make him king. And you can read 23 to see what happens with Athelia, etc. But then Joash becomes king at seven years old. Now, 24 please, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibia of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehodiah the priest. Jehodiah was the spiritual influence in Joash's life. Some of you here this morning. Yes, you're past the point of physical prime of life. You're not going to be Joash the king. But you can be Jehodiah that encourages him. You can disciple somebody. You can pray for them. You can take them under your wing. I've said many times before, one of the most powerful combination is the young believer that has the physical strength and excitement but doesn't have the wisdom in the Lord. You pair them with somebody who has the wisdom in the Lord, the gray head, that maybe doesn't have the physical. That is an amazing combination. You got the maturity and wisdom of walking decades with the Lord, then with the young one that says, let's, let's go take that mountain. This is the discipleship. This is encouragement. This is how it's supposed to happen. Now, jump ahead a little bit. Look at verse 15. Jehodiah grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. One commentator I read said that God must have supernaturally gave him long life because as long as Jehodiah was alive, Joash was doing right spiritually. As soon as Jehodiah dies, Joash. Doesn't do as well. Listen, folks, you've got some people you can influence yet. Please influence the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids. Please influence the friends and neighbors around. Please influence us with the years that you have walked with the Lord in many ways and the wisdom that we can learn from that. And I hope that you can learn from everybody else as well, too. Now, if you're like me, my mind looks at details. There's a reason why God told us that in verse 1, Joash was 7... He reigned 40 years, and there's a reason why in 15 they told us that Jehodia was 130. Because if you do the math, if you do the math, how old would Jehodia have been? Now, we don't know it exact because we don't know exactly how far Joash fell away, how many years he fell away. Jehodia could have been about 90 when he did this. 90. What's happening at 90? At 90, people are telling you to not do anything. Jehodiah says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sit here and do nothing. I got a king to disciple. I got a kingdom to encourage. I got a young man who is seven years old that needs to know what it means to walk in the Lord. So, God, when you're ready to take me, take me. But until then, I'm going to influence this generation coming after me because that's what's the most important thing to do. But what about this in the free time? Yeah, I got all of eternity to enjoy that. But until the Lord takes my last breath on this earth, by golly, I'm going to be doing the things of the Lord. And I hope and pray that that's our mindset. Just to stop and say, Lord, whatever season I'm in, this is the best season for me. Yes, there are sometimes seasons of tears, sometimes seasons of weeping, but this is the season you got me in. Lord, until I take my last breath, I'm going to fight as if fighting for the Lord. Run as if running for the Lord. Walk as if walking for the Lord. And I'm going to get out there, Lord, in all that I say and all that I do. And please remember, if you are in the younger generation, the Daniels, the Jeremiahs, that changed the world at a young age, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, love, life, faith, and purity. Let us remember this, how this works. I, I re- my mind goes to Titus. Where Titus says, older men, disciple the younger men. 
Older women, disciple the younger women. This is the way the church is supposed to work. And let's learn from this. Let's grow with this. In whatever season we're in, say, Lord, this is the season you have for me. I will find my joy in this season because you are a good God and your mercies are new every morning. My tent may be falling apart every day, but your mercies are new every morning and I am being renewed inwardly every day. Hey, let's put this into practice here in prayer. Um, Worship team, we're going to come forward for the final song. Let's pray.